Well, it is great to see you guys. If you're one of our guests, thank you guys so much for joining us this morning. We just hope you guys sit back, relax, enjoy the presence of God, uh, enjoy our love, and um, we got something good for you. We've been praying all week, all week long, that God knows exactly who's going to be here, and he knows exactly what's going on in your life, and we have been praying that God's going to meet your need. He's going he's to illuminate some things to us this morning, if we'll let him, if we open up our hearts, well, he, he can change our life. All you need is one word from God to change your life. Did you know that? Amen. It is true. It is true. Let's start off in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. I thank you for your goodness and your mercy, Lord. I thank you that we all bring into the door uh, the stresses of our life, things going on, all kinds of stuff up in the air, Lord God. And we thank you, Lord, that you know about it. You've got it all under control if we'll lay it at your feet. I thank you, Lord God, that right now we can, you just bring peace to our hearts, Lord. Uh, you just open up our eyes, Father God, to allow us to receive from you, to receive that life-changing word from you, Lord God. I thank you for it. Praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, if, you have, if you're one of the ones in America with basic cable, you know this is probably one of the greatest weeks uh, of the year in television. Shark week, baby. Shark week. Has it gotten goofy, uh, a little bit pandering, a little bit sensational? Yes. And I say thank you, Lord. (laughs) What could be better than extra sensational sharks? It's been a lot of fun. And what an incredible timing for us in our uh, series. We have been in a series called The Deadlies. We are look, taking a, a deep, honest look at the famous seven deadly sins, which over, if you take the span of Scripture, if you kind of look at the course of Scripture, you see these things identified, these seven, script, these seven sins identified as sort of the deep, uh, powerful roots from which so many other sins appear. We got pride and anger and greed and gluttony, lust, envy, and sloth. The goal for us in all of this, of course, is that if we can identify these seven sins, these deadly seven, and how they operate, how they sneak around in our life and and lurk beneath the surface so many times, if we can identify these things in our life, it actually takes care of many of the ways that you and I fail every day. It'll take care of those things, right? Satan uses these core seven weapons to separate us from the life of of success that God desires for us. So, so we're going to expose these ways that they infiltrate our lives. And hopefully, so, sometimes these things, they are, they're beneath the surface uh, until they sort of jump out like an ambush predator, these sins in our life. You ever have that happen to you? And these things will destroy your life. They'll destroy the relationships in your life. And most importantly, they'll destroy your relationship with God. And that's not good. So, uh, so far, uh, we have looked at the sins of pride and anger. This morning, we are going to be looking at the deadly sin of greed. The deadly sin of greed. Now, those of you who are are brothers and sisters here today, and you went to Catholic school uh, when you were growing up, you probably know it by its super traditional, super religious word. Anybody know? Avarice. There we go. There's our Catholic school children. Avarice. Right. The sin is also known as the American way of life. Okay, so if, if you're like me, standing in America this morning, you can't hardly get away from this thing. Now, I have to show you this just because um, I'm a nerd. I, I, I'm a shark nerd. And see if this isn't the absolute coolest thing you've ever seen in your life. If that's, if that's not cool to you, I can't help you. <laughs> now, that's the... Uh, the Mako shark, right? They're the, the fastest shark in the ocean. That's just creepy. They're fastest shark in the ocean. That exists in our planet. That's swimming around the ocean. Okay, back to spiritual things. Here we go. <laughs> Seriously, though, what a great analogy of what <clears throat> sin does in your life, right? I mean, sin, it, it lies in ambush, it waits, and then it pounces, and it will ruin your day. It will ruin your day. Hallelujah. Now, Today we're going to be talking about greed, like I said, and I know what some of you might be thinking this morning. You might be thinking, you know what, Scott? You don't get it. I'm all good here because, see, I am not rich. I'm part of the 
right? I marched on Wall Street. Um, you know, no, I'm not with that. I got about $14 in the bank. Uh, I've got like $10,000 in credit card debt and school loans. You know, uh, that's me. My car is worth less than the tune-up it needs right now. <laughs> my house is worth less probably than my car. Uh, so this is not going to be my problem. I'm not one of those greedy rich guys. You know, or maybe you're single here. You're still you're living with mom and dad because the rent is just right. Living on ramen noodles. So you're thinking, this is not for me. This, I'm just going to sit back and enjoy this one. Because thankfully, I'm not, you know, filthy rich like Scrooge McDuck. Um, but here's the thing. Just like, if you remember a couple weeks ago when we looked at pride, just like pride isn't really about being stuck up, but it really reveals a lack of faith. And if you remember from last week, anger, we looked at anger. It's really not about just walking around like punching people in the face all the time. But really, anger has to do with more of a self-righteous issue that so many of us wrestle with. In the same way, greed is not just a sin for the wealthy. Okay? So I want us all to understand that. Greed is not just a sin for the wealthy. You don't have to wear a suit and tie, you know, and work on Wall Street to be stalked by this deadly sin of greed. Greed, in fact, it'll take root in your heart at any age, even from a young age, right? It can attach your, itself to you while you're still young and poor. You could, that, that weed of greed gets in there, takes root, and then, you know, it just becomes obvious to everybody after you've got lots of squirrels to spend, but it's been in there the whole time. See, the fact is, like I said, if you're a human being and you're living in America, the wealthiest nation in the wealthiest century in the history of human beings, it's greed is something that we all have to look out for. Now, here's, here's also the real challenge for us, too, when we're talking about greed. Greed is so incredibly hard to self-diagnose. It is. It is so hard. There's hardly a person on earth, I don't think I've ever met a person who, who just said, yeah, my, my problem is I'm just greedy. My problem is I'm greedy. I'm really greedy. That's my issue. Nobody says that. Nobody says that, right? Because greed, it's like the other sin. It doesn't come to the door dressed like greed. It doesn't say, hello, I'm greed. Come on out. You know, no, it doesn't do that. It, 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 greed comes looking like other things. It says other things. It says, I'm not greedy. I'm just careful. I'm not greedy. I'm a saver. I save. I'm not greedy. I'm just good at making money. Now, as we're going to get in, don't get excited. There's nothing wrong with making money. But greedy says, I'm not greedy. I'm just trying to put myself in a good position for the future. Or I'm just looking out for my family. See, it says good, noble things. All those things are good. Looking out for your family. Um, I'm not greedy. I'm just protective of my stuff. Right? I don't like it all broken and messed with, so it, that's why I keep it in the packaging in the closet. <laughs> so just like anger, see, greed will swim up to you smiling like a virtue. That's why we got to be on the lookout for it. So we're going to try to expose this quasi-virtue of greed today. In the book of Mark, Jesus said... What comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from inside and defile a person. Now look at that company that greed is in. That's a pretty harsh list of things. We've got theft, murder, and adultery there, Right? Jesus takes the sin of greed seriously. So, before we go on, let's, let's ask a basic question so we're all on the same page. What is greed? What is greed? Um, we want to identify it. A, a basic uh, literal definition of greed is simply the inordinate desire to collect or to accumulate stuff. It could be wealth. It could be money. But it could be anything. It could be friends. It could be whatever it is. But it's an inordinate desire to accumulate, to collect. There's this human... Uh, it, it, greed craves excess. Uh, there's this human 
propensity that we all have, and that is to not only possess stuff, but to hoard. There's something, there's something inside us. Even if, you know, some of you have really escaped this. You know, you, you've, you're awesome, and, you know, you're like a minimalist. But most people have this, this desire, this sort of intrinsic thing to hoard stuff. Not just collect it, but, or, or possess it to hoard it. Here's a scripture. This is one of the most misquoted scriptures on earth. It's in 1 Timothy 6.10. And it says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. A love of money. And most people, of course, misquote this and say the money's the root of all evil. Money's the root of all evil. Scripture doesn't say money's the root of all evil. It's the love of money. Now, the word love here is important because it, it's translated as craving or grasping, seizing or clutching. The idea in the Greek here is this clawing for more and more. Just a clawing, a grasping for more and more. And greed, it turns out, is the root for all kinds of other evils. Greed can actually feed some of the other deadly sins that we're looking at this summer. It feeds gluttony, right? The greed can feed your gluttony. It can feed your lust. You can, you can accumulate and collect like sexual conquests. It can feed your lust. Greed can feed your pride, you can want to collect accolades from people, friends who will, you know, constantly tell you that you're awesome. Greed can feed these other things. It, these sins often, as we, we're going to see, and you'll, you'll notice this yourself, these sins often overlap. They kind of walk arm in arm with a lot of each other. They inflame each other. And then the scripture goes on, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So Paul here, he's warning us that greed is so powerful, it can so consume your heart, people will actually wander from the faith and allow something to push God off the throne in our hearts. Which brings us to the second thing that greed is, is really all about, and that is idolatry. Greed is a form of idolatry. Now, the definition of idolatry is simply the misplaced Object of, a, uh, object of worship, a misplaced object of worship, elevating something of lower status above something of greater status, when you're putting something above God, because there's nothing greater than God. So any time you elevate something above him, you've made an idol. Each one of us, think of it like this, every single one of us have a throne in our heart. We have a throne that we worship something. You may be thinking, not me, I don't got a throne, I'm an independent person, Scott. You know, I'm, I'm super, I'm not, I don't, I don't serve anything, I'm all about, you know, just looking out for me, but we all have a throne in our heart, whether it's other people, whether it's riches, whether it's stuff, yourself, or God, whatever it is, and, and that thing that you are greedy for is the thing you have placed on your throne, that for which you are greedy is what you've placed on your throne. It's what you worship. It is, like it or not, the object of your worship that is your idol. The object of your worship. In Colossians, it says that, it says, to put to, de- put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is what? Idolatry. Greed is idolatry. In other words, greed comes in and it takes God's seat. Muscles him off. Takes God's seat. Takes center stage in our heart. Right? It's, it's like an obsession. That thing that you're obsessed about. That thing that your heart is craving. Matthew puts it so well. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, is where your heart is going to be also. I mean, just imagine, if you, if you found some buried treasure in the woods behind your house, if you found some treasure, like real good treasure out there, you're going to be thinking about that all day long, right? You might be with your family, you might be with your friends, your boss at work, wherever you are, but your mind is somewhere else. Your heart is out in the woods with that treasure, thinking about it, wondering about it, no matter what you're doing. You might be driving your car, but your heart is out there. So when we allow this need to accumulate to capture us, 
that need to accumulate, the need to accumulate, it's not just a distraction of the mind. It's what we need to understand. It's not just, well, it's just something for me to do. It's a hobby. It's, something, it's just something I do. It's a quirk. It's a distraction of the mind. No, 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 no. It has captured your heart. That's what the Word says. It's captured our heart. That which is on your throne is that which has captured your heart. Jesus goes on in Matthew 6.24. He says, No one can serve two masters. Nobody. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Nobody can. None of us are the exception. You can't serve both God and money. Now, look, I'm not after your money today. We're not going to take another offering when this is over. This is not... Understand, this is not really a money issue. This is a heart issue. That's what we're talking about. This is a heart issue. I want you healthy in your heart today, right? Jesus is talking about a really big idea here, that greed is something that will overtake your heart. And that's important. Not just a bad habit. It will overtake the heart to the point where it will push God out. Because you know what? God won't share his throne. It's just not in his nature. He's kind of a gentleman that way. You want to put something else on the throne? Like up there with God? God, here, just scoot over a little bit, put him here. You know what God's going to do? He gets off the throne, and he says, good luck with that. You're on your own. He doesn't share the throne. There's this great story that Jesus told, sheds a little light on on this. In uh, the book of Luke, and if you have a Bible, you could turn there if you like. But in Luke, he's having this teaching moment with his, his homies and his friends are sitting around. And in verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So there's, there's this dispute somebody's having. Isn't it comforting to know these disputes are, that we're having today? We're going on 2,000 years ago, right? Somebody's still arguing about money. Somebody passed away and the kids are arguing about splitting up the money. Tell my brother to invite, divide the inheritance with me. Who gets the money? Who gets what? They want Jesus to tell him. He, they want Jesus to tell the brother that he's wrong and give him half the money. Jesus says this in 14. Man, I love that. Who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, notice he said to them, that tells me he's talking to both brothers. He tells them, watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. So there's more than one kind of greed. There's all kinds of greed. Jesus says, watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Now, Jesus is telling this to us, okay? We just got to put our name in here. I I put my name in here. It's like Jesus says, Scott, Scott, hello, Scott. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Let's do that. Everybody, on the count of three, I want you to say your name. You say your name, I'll say Scott. Ready? One, two, three. Scott. Now say, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Jesus said that to me. All right, he said it to you. Hallelujah. So immediately, I don't know about you, but I read the scripture and I think Jesus would not make a very good American. This is not very patriotic at all, right? Um, life doesn't consist of lots of possessions. Jesus, come on. Like, what are you, Swedish or something? What is this? this is, that's not cool. And then Jesus tells him a little story in verse 16. He says, the ground of a certain rich man. He's telling a parable here. He's making this story up. He tells a very good lesson. He says, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. All right, you had a good, good year. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. So here's a guy. He had a good year. He, he has more than he needs. Now, so far, is anything wrong here? Has the guy sinned by working hard and having a good crop? He's prosperous. He chose wisely. He did the right seed. Whatever he did, I don't know what he did, but he had a great crop. He's, been, he's, he's prospered. Awesome. More power to you. Hallelujah. But what happens? Then he said, this is what I'll do. 
I'll tear, tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. So now we have a problem. The problem is his response to his newfound prosperity, which is a blessing from the Lord, right? His response is to hoard it. His response, and what does that make him want to do? Stop working, right? Just live for pleasure. Not, oh, thank you, Lord. Now I can, you know, I can do the work of the Lord. I can do the work of the kingdom. I can be a blessing to lots of people. I've got more grain and food here than I know what to do with. No, now he says, I don't have to do a lot of work now. I'm going to kick back with a cold one, play Xbox for the rest of my life. And, you know, I, I do have a problem, though. I don't have room for all this stuff. So, I mean, that's the most work he's going to do is knock down his barn and build a new one. But look what God says. Look at his re- response. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? God's making the point. If you're keeping it, who's going to get this, right? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Now keep in mind, this is a parable. God hasn't struck anybody dead. But Jesus is making a point here. That here's a guy who has everything now, but he is poor in the eyes of God. And he trusts in his stuff, which is here today and gone tomorrow. He's trusting in this stuff. And God is saying, this is a really important point here. God is saying, listen, dude, if you are not going to be a blessing to others, then literally what good are you to the world? What good are you on the planet? God's making a point. If you're going to hoard all this, what good are you? Let's just take you home, right? You're done. That's kind of God's attitude here. Now, most of us, we live in the suburbs here, so we probably don't, more than likely, you don't have a barn at home filled with crops, you know. Uh, But we do have bank accounts and IRAs and closets and attics and garages and things like that filled with more treasure than we can handle, right? It's okay to say yes because you're American. You have more than you can handle. And Jesus is challenging us here. He's challenging us to ask, what are we going to do with it? What are we doing with it? Are we just building bigger and better barns to keep up with our greed, to feed our greed habit? Or do we respond to the prosperity that God brings our way by asking, who can I bless with this? Who can I bless with this? See, Jesus makes it really clear. Like what we say all the time, we're blessed to be a blessing. Right? We're blessed to be a blessing. Even, even the spiritual growth that we get at this church, we don't just listen to sermons and read the Bible so it can, we can just like get closer to God and be me and God the rest of my life. We, we, that's part of our vision statement. We are changed to change the world. We're being changed by God to change the world. There's a reason why we are wanting to grow in the Lord. It is so we can change the world. We're blessed to be a blessing um, what, do you, what Jesus wants. Now, does Jesus want you poor? No, we've never taught that. We've never taught that here. Jesus doesn't want you poor. He doesn't want you poor. What he really wants, here's what Jesus wants. He wants to find men and women who will be his hands and his feet in the world and become like human rivers, just continually carrying the, the rain of his blessing to flow it down to other people, to flow downstream to other people. He wants, he's looking for rivers. That's what he wants us to be. In this parable, there's this guy who has more than enough. He has an excess, but he's not viewing himself as a river, is he? He doesn't view himself as a river. He sees himself more as a dam there to just like catch every drop of water he can accumulate. Right? And the, the motto for this guy could be, the buck stops here. Because once a buck comes his way, it's not passing anywhere else. It's stopping right there. I think God's looking for some rivers, not some dams. He wants us to be a river, not a dam. Be a river, not a dam. We could put it this way. The greedy person 
is where stuff goes to die. Once it's in his grasp, it ain't leaving. It's there. Say goodnight. Right? A river takes the blessings of God and he flows it downstream to nourish the world. Right? A dam hoards, hoards every drop you can get. You know what else a, a dam does? He feels really good about himself every once in a while. He just kind of lets out a trickle. Right? I'm going to open the gate a little bit. Enjoy that, everybody. Enjoy the trickle. God didn't call us to that. So we've got to ask ourselves, what am I here for? Are you here to be a river or are you here to be a dam? Is the purpose of my day, when I wake up, when my, the moment my eyes open, my feet hit the floor, and I have to ask myself, what am I here for? What is the purpose of my day today? Is it to make more money, to accumulate more stuff, to save everything I can get my hands on? Do I need, do I, is the purpose of my day, do I need to find the, the newest, latest, fastest, greatest, biggest Right? When the 3.0 comes out, I gotta have it. I gotta, I, I'm suddenly itching to chuck my 2.0, even though it works fine. Right? I gotta upgrade. I, I'm not here to, to come down on you. I, I wanna open you up this morning to more joy than you'll ever experience in your whole life. See, th- this is a message that will open us up to more joy and less stress than you'll ever experience. Because when money's on the throne, he's a, that's a stressful master. Right? He's a stressful master. Here's a, here's a fun little game to play. You know, when you're like on a Saturday morning, you're sitting around with your, your wife and drinking your coffee, you ever play the $100,000 game? What, what would we do? What, what would you do? If someone just walked up and gave you $100,000, what would you do? Now, that's not the most money in the whole wide world. You can't like quit your job and move to Tahiti with $100,000, right? You're going to have to go back to work pretty soon. But what would you do? What's the, what do you think about that? What's the first place your mind goes? Is it, is it buying that thing you've always wanted? That thing? Is it buying that thing? Ugh. Or, or maybe it's starting a business or something that you've always wanted to start. That's good. Maybe you're really into financial planning, and you would just sock it all away in an investment. You take that 100000 and put it away in an investment. You know, you took Dave Ramsey. You know what to do. But now, in any part of this fantasy, this little fantasy, what percentage are you picturing giving towards eternal things that will never go away, like souls for the kingdom of God? What percentage are you giving towards that? Are you, are you at all, what percentage are you imagining how many churches you could build with that in India, over there by Mr. Godam? How many churches, how many orphans you could get off the street in Guatemala and feed and clothe for five years. How, how many? How many ways our own church could be even a greater blessing to our community, reach further, do more? How many missionary families could have a year of like not stressing out about money, but do what God told them to go do? Or have we mentally already spent every last cent of the stuff, right? So then maybe God gets a little bit of leftovers, a little trickle if there is any. No, no, look, full, full disclosure, because I've got to say this or I'll get emails this week. It's okay to build a, a retirement account, okay? That's smart. That's wisdom. But listen, even that can lead to the sin of greed. So we've got to stay on top of this thing. Even that, even a, a wise, noble thing, like your, your IRA, it can lead to the sin of greed because... Make no mistake, the, the moment your IRA, your savings account, whatever it is, becomes your source of security, God is going to remove his hand of protection. Right? I'm not saying he's going to strike you dead, but he's going to say, have fun with that. You're on your own. That's your source of protection. He's not going to share that throne. He removes himself from that situation. As long as God is your source and God is your salvation, he promises to bless you and protect you so that you can be a blessing to other people. Isn't that awesome? But, but you make a God of your savings, make a God of that job. Trust me, that will be the only God at work in your life. The third characteristic the sin of greed creates in us is the self-absorbed disregard for other people. 
This is what greed does to us. In this parable that Jesus just told, this man's barns are overflowing while all around him people are still in great need. Now, in Jewish culture, we talked about this a couple years ago in our Ruth series, but in Jewish culture, they actually had this wonderful built-in way to guard against greed. It was a sort of ancient social security system. And if you had a field, if you were a landowner, you had a field and you harvested your crops from this field, the law was, the Jewish custom was, that you'd leave the excess that falls on the ground. You know, you ever pick up a big pile of leaves and take them over here to the truck or something? What happens? You got this little trail of leaves, right? Well, in Jewish culture, you know, you normally would kind of scrape all that up. No, 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 you leave it. You leave it for others. And, and if you have a field, you imagine the other thing they would have is if you had a square field and you're, you would leave the corners unharvested. You know, you can imagine if you had a little lawnmower and you get to the corner of your fence, you kind of got to do little things to get that corner. When Jewish culture, you just, you just round it off, just keep going and leave that corner for other people. And that way, others, the poor and the society can come from behind you, harvest up the leftovers. Now, this was a brilliant system for them. It was, it was not only a, a very effective, uh, pretty effective welfare system, and, and uh, it was also, it enabled generosity to be built into the culture. Generosity is built into the culture, right? So you're, you're choosing in that moment, I'm going to choose to leave that, right? And what was great about it, too, is it left people who came back behind you, it left them their dignity because they came and worked for their supply. And, and there would usually be quite a lot for them to gather and feed their family. But see, this guy in this parable that Jesus sets up, he's completely ignoring the, the need that exists all around him. It's, it's counter to the whole spirit of, of what they did back then. One of the horrific effects of greed is it shrinks your world down to a planet of one, you. It shrinks the world down to a world of one. In effect, it, greed makes you small. Makes you small. Instead of being kingdom-minded, others-focused, recognizing the awesome part that you play in God's strategy to redeem the earth, greed shrinks down the whole purpose of your life to this tiny, infinitesimal object, you. That's what greed does. You become the only reason for your existence. And God says, if, if that's your only reason for existence, what good are you to the planet? Right? How else do you explain that 80% of the world lives on less than $10 a day? 80% of the world. Half the world, 50% of the world lives on less than $3 a day. Every day, on a day just like today, 25,000 children will die of starvation and poverty. There's almost a billion people on the planet who can't read. 1.6 billion people live without electricity. 800 million people go hungry every day. 800 million people today around the planet, people will go to bed hungry, stomachs rumbling. Meanwhile, in the U.S. alone, we spend $41 billion a year on our pets, right? 130 million children have no access to basic education, 130 million. Less than 1% of what the whole world spends a year on military weapons, less than 1% of that would put every child in school for a year. Why does this happen? Because sin becomes systemic. It moves from the garden to the globe. It never is satisfied with just staying inside one person's heart. You know, it migrates. Sin moves from the individual to the society. And what happens then is everyone in the society just learns to accept the disease as normal. You just accept this this horrible disease, right? It'd be like if all of us were like sick and coughing all the time and like coughing up blood. After a while, we just like would buy clothes that went well with blood. That's disgusting, right? That's what greed does. 
Greed is not about one Ebenezer Scrooge, you know, sitting back in his pile of gold coins, laughing maniacally. That's the picture we have of greed, the crazy person. Greed is about a planet that is filled with resources, beautiful planet, filled with resources for everyone to be fed, healthy, and educated, that instead spends its money on the three biggest industries, which are weapons, drugs, and porn. Three biggest industries in America, weapons, drugs, and porn, while it throws away billions of tons of food every month. Something wrong with the world, the system, right? Sin has become systemic. The kingdom of heaven. See, this is why the kingdom of heaven is so revolutionary. We've got to understand what the kingdom of heaven is. It's God's way of saving us from this sickness, from this bondage. The kingdom of heaven is not about you having less fun. God's not trying to take away your good time. He wants to save us from this sickness. There's God's kingdom, and then there's anti-kingdom, right? The world lives by this anti-kingdom, this system of empire, and greed is the picture of anti-kingdom that has gone worldwide. It's gone worldwide. Now, let's face it. Let's bring it down to you and me. You and I can't control the world's weapon supplies, right? Uh, And you can't feed all the children on the planet. And I'm not telling you to get rid of your pet, right? If it's a dog, that's good. That's okay, right? Now, if you're spending money on a cat, I can't help you. But (laughs) I love you. I just don't understand you. But, But you know what? When your eyes are open to the revelation that you are a living, breathing ambassador for the kingdom of heaven, a different system of life, a different system outside the sickness, right? That you've, you've broken through, your eyes have been opened. Suddenly, you, you will find that greed is incompatible with that life. It's just incompatible with your life. It just doesn't fit anymore when your eyes are open to this, right? It, you, don't, you don't need a list of rights and wrongs, in front of you, because when you walk with Christ, when you walk with him, there's this internal anti-kingdom alarm that'll just go off whenever you see something that just isn't right. It'll go off. Ah, oh, that's not right. Imagine now what would happen if instead of sin building up a head of steam and moving from the garden to the globe, what if Christians allowed God's kingdom his, that kingdom mindness, mindedness, to build up a head of steam? What if that's what started here? And to move, what if that kingdom mindedness moved from the Sunday sermon, actually moved to the community, to how we talk to the community and how we respond to the community? That would change our world. That would change our world. That would be people being changed by God to change the world right? You know what? It would honor God, too, because we would be making a name for Christ in this community. We'd be exalting his name. People would be hearing about this. They would take notice of Christ and say, wow, that gospel really is good news. That gospel they're talking about is good news. Now, why is greed a big deal to God? Because greed is a destroyer. It's not just an annoyance. It's a destroyer. And believe it or not, we've talked a lot about the effects of greed around the world and around other people, but the biggest victim to my greed is me. I'm the biggest victim. The greedy person never really even enjoys anything. You ever think about that? Sir Francis Bacon said this. He said, the covetous man, that's like greed, cannot so properly be said to possess wealth as that it may be said to possess him. This is one of the ironies of greed, is that often, so often, it prohibits a person from actually enjoying the wealth that they've accumulated. They can't even enjoy it because often they're afraid to even spend it, right? See, sometimes a greedy person isn't somebody with lots of stuff. Sometimes the greedy person can't spend anything because they can't part with the money. Other people... They turn it into stuff, and then they can't part with the stuff. Often a greedy person will hoard more and more because they can't bear to part with it. Dante, Dante's Inferno, all that kind of stuff. He wrote this, greed is misdirected love. 
It turns our passions away from the things that are important and valuable. You're surrounded by the most important, valuable, priceless things in the world, right here in this room, about 250 of them. These are the most priceless things you will encounter today. People. And greed misdirects our love away from that. It drives us to collect things, collect money, awards, collect boyfriends, girlfriends, garden gnomes, whatever it is for you, right? And, and it drives us to place those things ahead of God. Ultimately, like all sin, greed becomes a matter of worship. It's, a, it's an issue of worship. Jesus knows that we become like the thing that we worship. Do you know that? If you worship the King of Kings, you become more and more Christ-like every day. That's, that's God's goal for us to ever be transforming us into the image of his son. That's what he wants. And if, if you worship him, you become more Christ-like. If you worship money, do you know what you become? You become what money is, a tool, right? When I was growing up, that was a put-down. God created humanity to be these eternal creatures that worship an eternal God. And greed means that Greed means we're no longer living in our purpose. We're living outside of our purpose. We're no longer what God created us to be. Now that's a very dangerous thing because when we allow something on our throne that isn't eternal but it's temporal, we actually become less human. It makes us less human, right? We become a thing that used to be alive but not so much anymore, right? You're like this golem. God created you to be human. That's not a dirty word. Do you know that? Human is not a dirty word. God created you to be fully human, fully alive. That's a very special thing in the universe. Neither angel nor animal. Right there, living in that tension between the dust and the divine. That is what a human being is. And to understand that we have a very special place in God's heart. And also understanding his place on the throne. That's what it means to be human. But greed strips away your humanity. It essentially turns you into an animal. It's why the more and more that greed becomes part of our culture, the more it extends to the globe, the easier it is for us to be inhumane to each other. The easier it is to click the channel, to ignore the cries of poverty and injustice around us because we're less human. It, It becomes easier to forget our original calling even of taking care of the planet that God put us on because when sin becomes systemic, what happens? We forget our calling and we lose our humanity. So how do we root out greed in our life? How do we do it? As we're doing each week, we don't just want to bum ourselves out with lots of bad news. We're looking for a cure, right? We're looking for a cure. What, where is the hope that we can find for this pathetic predicament of mankind? You ready for the, the path to freedom? Here it is. It starts with the same thing it starts with every week, to confess and to repent. Each week, this is what we see, is the answer to sin. It's a spiritual issue. It has a spiritual cure. We have to confess our sin. We have to own up to it and then repent of the sin. We confess our sin. We ask Jesus for his forgiveness because only he can free us. But what else can we do? We've done that. Okay, that's great. Jesus actually gives some really great ideas for inoculating yourself against greed. Here's another one. Practice refusing to worry. This starts with a conscious choice. Practice refusing to worry. Learn to trust God. Every time you worry, and and the temptation to worry will come to you every day. It doesn't make you evil. It just makes you human. So that temptation to worry comes. Oh, I'm I'm worried about something. Practice making that decision to refuse it. Do you know you could do that? It takes practice. You refuse to worry. You say, I'm not going to worry. I'm going to trust God. In Matthew 6, 25, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Notice what Jesus recognizes is the source of our worry. It's the source of a lot of our greed. Food, drink, clothes, possessions. That's the source of our worries. These objects of greed. So if we learn to trust God, banish worry, guess what? We get freedom from greed thrown in like a bonus. Trust God, banish worry. 
Hebrews 13 says this, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? God's saying, don't worry. Because really there's no security outside of God. Right? If, if money is on your throne, you're worshiping money, you, gotta, you know what? You've got to protect the money. Money, if you're wanting money to protect you, you got what are you spending all your time doing? Protecting the money. But if God's on your throne, you got to protect God. You don't got to protect him. You got to defend him. He's good. He'll take care of you. It's a whole different master. When we refuse to worry, we find out, we find ourselves less and less obsessed with hoarding out of fear and what tomorrow holds. Here's another one. This is a good one. Practice actually praying like Jesus prayed, which is pray for your daily bread, not for extra bread. He never said, Lord, give us this day extra bread. (laughs) He said, give us today's daily bread. Give us our daily bread, Lord. See, God said, if you ask me for what you need today, I'll supply it because I love you. I'll supply it. Instead, what we're actually saying to God is, Lord, I'm not sure you're enough for me. So I need more. I need more to feel satisfied and content. We have to learn contentment. Number four. I'm bringing this to a, to a landing here. Number four is practice generosity. Practice generosity. Do you know giving and greed are just not compatible? Right? They will grate against one another. Not just financial generosity. I'm not talking about that. All, just, just that. But give... Give credit to people. Practice giving people praise, giving them credit. Practice giving people your time, right? This is something the Lord's always convicting me of because I'm always thinking I'm really busy and stuff like that. And he's always got to remind me, hey, the most important things on this planet are right in front of you. It's flesh and blood. Give time. Give your time. Give your resources. Give hugs. Be generous, Right? Practice generosity and do it with no expectation in return. Practice doing that. And you'll find that you're, you're, not, you're not suddenly poorer. It's an amazing thing. When you're generous, you are richer by far because you've opened up the flow of heaven into your life. You're becoming a river, right? Put some cracks in that dam, become a river. Practice generosity. It does something else amazing too. It enlarges your perspective, It'll, it'll, it'll open your eyes. And as you go through the motion of giving of yourself, you find that that petty little box of greed that you lived in, it seems trivial and it seems small. Living for a world of one seems really small and trivial. Your vision expands. And it's the most thrilling thing on earth. That amazing, exciting realization of what we mean when we say that you were created to be a blessing. Created to be a blessing. Generosity, it breaks the bondage of greed. It really does. Number five, practice saying thank you a lot. Say thank you a lot. Gratitude does something. A greedy person has trouble saying thank you because they've already forgotten about the thing that they have. They're just thinking about the thing that they need. The next thing. It's thank you makes you focus on what you have. First Thessalonians uh, oh, I didn't put it in here. First Thessalonians, take my word for it. <laughs> I won't lie to you. He says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. So God wants to cultivate us in us this spirit of gratitude, this thankful spirit, a worshiping spirit. Now, how can we be so thankful when there's so much wrong in the world? We can be thankful because this unmatchable generosity of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, he has destroyed the works of the devil. That makes us thankful. He has destroyed the works of the devil. Because of Jesus, we really can say thank you in all things and mean it. When you cultivate this heart of gratitude for what you have, there's just no room for the greed and the craving for what you don't yet have. Number six, finally, start identifying yourself by who God says you are, not by what you have. Identify yourself by who God says you are. 
in Romans 6. He says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Verse 6, he says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. According to the Bible, you are identified with Christ. It has nothing to do with how much money you have, how much stuff you possess. When we get a realization of this, greed will lose its power over your life. Amen? In just a a minute, we're going to take communion together. One of our precious things that we love to do together. I want to challenge you in this. Make, Make this a priority in your life. Let's make this a priority to guard your heart by honestly and thoroughly rooting out the sin. Root out the sin that wants to separate you from God's best. God loves you. And listen, when we're talking about sin, this isn't to make God love you more. He doesn't hate you. He doesn't love you any less for having greed in your heart. He loves you exactly the way you are but he also loves us way too much to leave us this way. He wants to take us to a new place. Amen. Amen. He is good. He loves you so much. Hallelujah. The good news is good news. Amen. It's not a bummer. It's not bad news. It's good news. The gospel is here to save us. Save us from the sickness to save us from a fallen world. God's got a good plan for your life. Amen? Hallelujah. Prayer partners, you come forward, and, uh, and uh, these guys will stand with you in faith, and, and uh, change will happen in your life. Hallelujah. So I want to give you a blessing this morning. In Jesus' name, may you find freedom from grasping at temporal things. Grasp toward eternal things. May you become a river and not a dam. And may you, may you find that place where your identity is based on who God says you are, not on what you have. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you later.